Welcome to this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping project managers sharpen their PM skills. And in this episode, we are going to talk about one thing that you have to manage effectively that may be just as important, if not more important, than scope, schedule, and budget. And that one thing is client expectations. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, I'll be talking with Richard Negri, licensed professional engineer and owner and principal engineer of GeoTerra Engineering and Construction Consultants. Rich has more than 10 years of engineering, construction, and building science experience. And what's fascinating to me about Rich's journey is that in this episode, he's not just going to talk about project management, which he is, and he's going to get into client expectations. But he's also coming at it from an engineer who started his own business, an entrepreneur. So just think about that. There's a lot of things that he needs to think about. He needs to think about the technical side of his business. He needs to manage projects, manage clients. And then the business side of the business, right? Invoicing, finances, and all those other things that come along with it. So Rich was just a really, really impressive professional. I was excited to get the chance to talk to him, and I'm excited to share what he has kind of accomplished and how he can pass on some of those strategies to you. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, I'm excited to welcome our guest onto the podcast today. Rich Negri is the owner and principal engineer of GeoTerra Engineering and Construction Consultants. Rich, welcome to the Engineering Project Management Podcast. Definitely a pleasure to be uh, on the podcast here, so I'm super excited. Let's get started, Rich, kind of in your own words. Tell us a little bit about yourself, You know what it is you do on a daily basis at GeoTerra. As you mentioned, uh, I'm the owner and principal engineer of uh, Geoterra Engineering Construction Consultants. So my background is actually uh, in civil engineering. Uh, I've specialized in geotechnical engineering, you know, structural engineering for light frame structures, as well as project and construction management. Uh, I've actually spent the last 10 years of my career holding kind of career-related roles in both the private and public sector, and now full-time as an entrepreneur. I actually earned my Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering from Morgan State University, which is actually a historically black college and university here in Baltimore, Maryland. And I also do hold a Master of Science in Civil Engineering from the University of Maryland College Park. So in order to own my own firm or to pretty much run my own firm, I have to be professionally licensed as an engineer. So I am a PE here in the state of Maryland, as well as I'm licensed in the District of Columbia as well. So some of the daily things that I do with Geoterra, um, I'm going to give it to you from both the perspective as, as an engineer, as well as a small business owner those duties can essentially be pretty multifaceted. So on any given day, you know, I could be reviewing company financials to kind of essentially take a look to see where how we're doing as a company, uh, reviewing our schedule to prepare for either new project consultation calls or project design coordination review meetings during my office days, or prepping for site visits, structural assessments, or on-site consults during my field days. And then other than that, I'll be preparing meeting notes, site visit notes and developing reports from those assessments or on-site consultations, uh, preparing estimates for new projects, nurturing existing clients, and then marketing for new clients, and then managing design and construction teams for our ongoing projects. So it's a, it's a lot that needs to be done. Yeah. And on any given day. I definitely commend you as an entrepreneur myself, I think, and an engineer. Engineering is a very complex profession with a lot of things to think about from technical design components of your career, client interaction and communication, liability, a lot of stuff. And then 
coupling that with the entrepreneurial side of it, you're thinking about growing the business, you know, keeping the lights on, bringing in enough money. But what I think is really awesome about what you're doing, and I'd love for you to speak to a little bit is, I would imagine that you're really getting a lot of development for yourself in all aspects of what you're doing. You're becoming a better engineer, you're becoming a better entrepreneur, becoming a better salesperson. Like, can you talk about that experience a little bit? Going from an engineer to an engineer entrepreneur, I mean, it was a really interesting transition because as, as you mentioned, Anthony, it's a lot of different things that you have to consider at the same time. You know, when you're in your career as an engineer, you're considering mostly, you know, are you technically competent enough to, you know, handle the projects that are being assigned to you? Um, especially when you're first starting out, a lot of the work might be kind of menial at first, and then you kind of progress depending on what aspect of engineering you want to get into. A lot of engineers, you know, I know coming out as a civil engineer, you know, either branch off into design, project management, or construction management. For myself, I stuck a lot in, I actually maintained a lot of work and did a lot of work mostly on the design aspect and later got some of the project management and construction management experience. So transitioning from the more technical roles and doing mostly design work and then, you know, become designed to become an entrepreneur, it required a lot of professional development in that sense, a lot of learning that, you know, you're not necessarily going to get on the job, you know, so it's a lot of professional development that you kind of have to seek out on your own. I mean, podcasts such as yours here provide a lot of that insight. You know, I was actually aware of, of this podcast prior to actually being on the show. So it's, it's interesting kind of full circle now actually being uh, a guest on the show now. So this is actually really awesome. But, you know, finding digital mentors, finding uh, other mentors that are either engineers or small business owners themselves to kind of get a little bit more insight, you know, it's extremely important because when you make that transition, you realize that you have to wear many of these different hats, especially when you're first starting out. It can be really challenging for sure. You're really forcing yourself to develop technically. Like you said, you had a lot of that earlier in your career, but obviously you're always developing technically as you get new projects and stuff. Project management, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, obviously you've got to manage a lot of projects in your role and you've been learning that. But then also on the entrepreneurial side, you really need to understand business, finance, sales, and all that stuff. So that's really great. And I guess you'll see what happens. But as the company grows, I would imagine like you're not going to be able to continue to do all of those things. And I guess that's where you have to try to find other people and start to do some delegation. But let's get into what you do now in terms of projects. Let's talk a little bit about engineering in the residential real estate industry. What does that look like? So entering in the real estate industry, um, it's pretty fascinating and interesting. So I can talk primarily from what we do here at Geoterra as we primarily offer, you know, structural expertise for light frame structures. And most of the time we're working with individuals who have limited knowledge on the subject and are relying essentially on our expertise to make a huge financial decision. Uh, so that's whether that's purchasing a new family home or taking on an investment property. So a lot of our clients are typically realtors, um, current and new homeowners, home inspectors, lender appraisers, could even be insurance companies, contractors, as well as investors. So much of the work entails mainly assessing foundations and or other structural related issues that may be observed during the property's um, inspections or appraisal phase of the, of the purchase transaction. So and after our assessment, what we'll do is we'll issue reports with our professional opinion with any recommendations to address issues that we find that should be of concern. But other services that we can offer within the real estate industry as well is uh, we also do load bearing determinations. You know, the big thing now, particularly in real estate, is these open concept plans. So many of our investors and existing homeowner clients 
they're looking to open up these spaces and that requires removing walls that could potentially be load bearing. So they'll call us out and we can come out and provide those determinations as well as any structural alteration recommendations to make that happen. We also develop renovation drawings. We also review uh, existing permit plans that may be developed by architects that require structural input. We also provide permitting support services, third-party inspections through four local jurisdictions where it's allowable, as well as post-construction certification. So it's, it's actually a, a pretty kind of cornucopia of different services that you can provide within the real estate industry as an engineer. Um, it was actually quite a surprise to myself yeah, how involved engineering actually is in, in the real estate industry. What made you decide to get into that niche, the, the real estate industry? Man, that's actually a really great question because I actually accidentally fell into this. I'm a real estate investor myself, you know, on, you know, something that I do aside from engineering. But, um, you know, one of the things that at one point in time I was looking to see is like, well, how do I combine my love for real estate as well as my skill set in engineering? And one of the first things I thought about was actually becoming a home inspector. And uh, one of the properties that I was I was having inspected to prepare for to place a, a tenant in, you know, we have to go through these routine inspections. And in Baltimore City, we're required to use a third-party home inspector. So I reached out to a home inspector, and just decided to pick his brain and let him know, I was like, hey, you know, I'm an engineer, and uh, I'm interested in you know applying my expertise here in the real estate industry. And I'm thinking about becoming a home inspector. Do you have any advice for me? And honestly, he left. He was like you're an engineer and you want to be a home inspector? And I was like, yeah, why, why is that such an odd thing to ask? And he was like, you wouldn't happen to have your stamp, would you? I was like, yeah, I'm a PE. I wouldn't call myself an engineer if I didn't have my PE. And he goes, we actually need you. And he's like, all right, this is what I need you to do. So um, he gave me kind of direct step-by-step instructions. I didn't have a website. I didn't have any business cards. I merely just started with a Facebook page, a professional Facebook page. And he's like, hey, start the Facebook page and add as many of my realtor friends as as you can. And let's see what happens. And sure enough, you know, this was just a few short years ago. And uh, this is actually how I stumbled into becoming an engineer within the real estate industry. It's funny. It seems like the best businesses are like the ones that the entrepreneur has a problem themselves that they need to solve. Like you needed a home inspection and you were getting a home inspection and then you started talking about it and you found a problem. I mean, with EMI, I used to get sent the PM training courses as an engineer. And while the course content was good, it was really hard for me to take it and digest it and use it. So we've built programs here that are kind of spread out and they make it easier for people to use on the job. And so it's always an interesting question to ask because I do feel like a lot of the times the way you answered it is really the answer. Like I kind of had a problem I needed to solve and through that process, I kind of figured out maybe that there's a solution here, you know, or a business here, so to speak. And I guess that that was your foot in the door. Yep, for sure. And then at that point, I just let it grow from there, just looking to constantly improve from that point. So they needed you to provide them with the stamp on some of the reports and stuff because they weren't, they didn't have necessarily like the engineer behind them. Right. Yeah. So within the retail real estate transactions, you know, if a home inspector, you know, notes that a structural engineer's evaluation is required, typically that could be a hang up with the lender process. So most lenders, you know, once they see the home inspection report noted that there's a structural engineer's evaluation that's required, usually that kind of hangs things up with the lending process. So until a structural engineer, you know, comes out and reevaluates the issue that the home inspector noted requires additional structural evaluation and the engineer essentially comes out, reviews it and calls it good, 
then the essentially the real estate transaction can continue at that point. But yeah, it was it was it actually came as a shock to me because, like I said, as a real estate investor myself, I had never come across an issue where there was a structural evaluation that was needed on any of my properties. But I didn't realize that it's actually more common than we think. All right, so let's talk a little bit about project management and. I guess before we dive into, you know, project management and what you do in terms of delivering your projects, let's just talk about your background in project management. Have you ever had any kind of formal training or was it something you kind of learned on the job? Talk about kind of how you learned about project management. Yeah, so it was definitely mostly um, on the job training through, you know, my the career roles that I've had. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I spent a lot of time in both the private and public sectors. And, you know, as I kind of progress through my career, you're given more and more responsibilities. Essentially, when you're starting out, you're learning kind of more, not necessarily the bare minimums, but the building blocks to what it is that you're going to be doing as an engineer within your particular discipline. You know, for me, it was geotechnical engineering and structural for light frame structures. So as I became more well-versed in those particular areas, I was given more responsibilities. And then generally, as you progress, at times, you're going to be responsible for leading projects that are dominated by your particular discipline. So when you're leading project teams, you're required to kind of be able to coordinate those team members. You're required to basically essentially manage the budgets for your respective discipline. So a lot of the time it's it's on the job training that you're learning how to manage those budgets, manage uh, your team members, and managing the project schedules. Because even though you might be responsible for a specific part that's related to your discipline, your specific part actually impacts the overall project as a whole. So although you might not be managing the entire project, you know, within your respective discipline for your portion of the project, there is a project management component that's involved, particularly with the public sector agencies that I work for. That's generally how it works. You know, you kind of have your different disciplines and with those multidiscipline teams, you're responsible for your particular portion. So with, for example, with geotechnical engineering, you know, for most pro- before any projects begin, whether it's at the feasibility phase or for preparing to get ourselves into the design phase, you know, usually it's a subsurface investigation is usually the first start. So, you know, I would manage the subsurface investigation process where I'm developing the scope. You know, at that point, then I'm assigning the drill team, putting out, you know, assigning the the junior uh, engineers or the technicians to go out and actually do the field logging to actually run the subsurface investigation program making sure that the subsurface investigation is basically executed within budget and within the time that's allotted for it. So all those, so with, you know, the basic, those three points of project management where you're managing time, budget, and scope, it's that delicate balance of ensuring that, you know, your particular portion is executed along the path that's designated for it within the overall project. I mean, a lot of that is, you know, you learn it on the job, at least in my experience. You know, some of the formal maybe project management experience I have, I wouldn't necessarily call it specific to project management, but I've done a lot of leadership development training where they focus a lot really on communication because that plays a really huge part in, you know, what we do as the project manager, for sure. And I agree with you that a lot of it, learning on the job is important as a project manager. I think that's where you learn. I mean, I think in a perfect situation, it'd be great if an engineer could have some solid PM training coupled with PM experience on the job. It doesn't always happen that way, of course. Some firms don't offer any training or some firms offer the training, but then there's a gap between the, them actually getting to practice those skills on the job. So it's really important, I think, to have a good blend. But getting back to what you do in the real estate industry, or just in general from your career, what are some of the things that you've done 
to help you to be able to deliver projects on time and on budget? What are some of the tips or strategies or things that you found have been beneficial to projects that are on time? So the biggest thing, which I feel is probably like going to be the most obvious thing is really kind of sticking to what we know and what we do well. I mean, we're actually very transparent about that. So we actually also implement common systems and processes across the variety of services that we offer. And that's in, to ensure optimal workflow. We also maintain shared calendars amongst our team. Uh, so that way we maintain, we also have weekly communications regarding ongoing and upcoming projects. And that way we can appropriately manage and distribute workload. We also implement lessons learned from past projects. I think that's absolutely key. And we do our best to stay current with the changes within the industry that might impact our current or future work. And also working closely with our clients. We kind of working closely with them in a collaborative effort to ensure that you know they're kind of kept apprised every step of the way. And that limits miscommunication. That way we can handle issues proactively and even efficiently as they become apparent or arise. Wow, that's awesome. Some really good tips there. I really like the idea of keeping people on the same page, like you said, shared calendars, regular meetings, things of that nature, which is really important. How about communication with regards to managing client expectations? What does that look like? Because that's an important part of project management. Personally, I feel like the latter part of the question is the answer to the question. Because knowing the client's scope, allowing them to kind of spew out their wants and needs is the best first step. You know, just kind of get it all out there, get it down on paper, get it down on the whiteboard. You know, essentially that brainstorming aspect of kind of knowing exactly fully what it is that they're looking for. Then you kind of start narrowing down what's the negotiable and non-negotiables, as well as what's feasible and, and not feasible based on a variety of aspects that, are, that might be related to your specific project. But the two biggest aspects that typically applies to any project is usually time and budget. But then ultimately managing client expectations really requires effective listening as well as communication. But more specifically, being able to understand their project and being able to break down some of the complex aspects of the project that they may or may not be aware of and or understood and making it easily to digest for them. So that way decisions can be made that everyone is happy with at the end of the day. Now, obviously, the goal is always to be able to deliver the full scope within the available resources and time frame. But when compromises need to be made, we aim for it to be a collaborative process so that way everyone feels like a winner. And that's why communication plays a really big, big role here, because some clients, if they can't get everything they want, depending on how you deliver that message, it could turn a client from being a really awesome client to, you know, potentially a nightmare client. But being able to communicate effectively by you know listening to their wants and needs but then also being able to communicate where some of those potential pitfalls might be where they might be misunderstanding what's feasible or unfeasible or what's realistic versus unrealistic being able to communicate that in an effective way is extremely important so that way at the end of the day when the project is executed everyone feels like they've won I love that approach. And I really like what you said there, Rich, right off the bat, is you kind of got to let them kind of spew everything out to you and you have to listen to them because that's when they're really telling you what their wants are, what their needs are, what their desires are. And really at the end of the day in project management, a project is successful if the client's happy. I mean, I think, the, and especially in consulting, like that's kind of the golden rule. And so they're going to be happy if you meet those expectations. And sometimes as engineering professionals, we may try to shortcut those just to focus on what we know, you know, scope, schedule, budget, but they might have other expectations that they want. And in a lot of the PM training that we do, we mentioned like you can have that conversation with them, either like when you're preparing the proposal or 
you know, in a project kickoff meeting, if you have the project, once you've secured the project. So regardless of when you do it, you want to do it as early on as in the project, like Rich mentioned, so that you're starting with their expectations and you can manage to those expectations along the way. Because to me, what I found is that in our line of business, and I'm sure you would agree, like repeat work can be really important for engineering companies and you get that from happy clients. Absolutely. Yep. And referrals as well. Yeah. And referrals. Absolutely. You do manage a team at various levels. You talked a little bit before about some of the things you do, but I would imagine in such a complex industry like engineering, you know, some of that project communication can become difficult. So what are some of the tips or tools that you use to make sure that you're communicating effectively with your project team members? So like managing client expectations, it's also important to know the roles and capabilities of each of your team members and where they're going to be required in the overall process. Also, having a clear defined scope is integral to ensuring we effectively communicate amongst our team. This allows us to identify those key objectives and even potential pitfalls within the project planning or execution process. So like you mentioned, Anthony, like very early on in the project process, we're able to identify these things. So that way, if unforeseen complications do arise, it's easy for us to kind of pivot, you know, or less difficult for us to make those necessary changes. But the biggest thing really uh, in terms of maintaining communications within our team, since the pandemic, we've actually permanently implemented distance technologies to maintain communications across our teams, you know, such as using shared calendars, as I mentioned earlier, video conferencing, using Zoom like we're using now, implementing cloud storage for project documents. So that way, you know, no matter where our team members may be across the U.S., they're able to access those documents. Also using multi-development programs and where, you know, multiple team members can be working on the same document concurrently without actually losing track of that information. And a lot of that is actually offered through the Google and Microsoft Office suite of products. And that's what we mainly use. I'm not sure about this, but I would imagine from what you mentioned before, you know, a lot of your projects are like in the due diligence phase of a real estate transaction, you know, where someone's trying to make a decision. So I would imagine that you have a lot of your projects are kind of smaller, faster projects. You have to do them quickly, get them done, get on to the next one. I know managing a small project versus a large project, a lot of the fundamentals are the same, but some of the things are different because your budgets are smaller, you know, you have a shorter window. What can you say about like managing smaller projects and how, like what you have to think about as a PM in that situation? The best thing for managing those smaller projects, especially if they're very similar in nature, is essentially having a, a process down for those specific projects. Um, essentially having that process flow allows you to not necessarily be hands-off, but really where you can do a lot more delegation and then you're providing more of that general oversight to ensure that that project is moving along, you know, essentially pretty quickly as it needs to be. Also, you know, putting together templates works really well. And then also using kind of like handheld software. So, you know, we have mobile devices that we can kind of take out with us, you know, similar to, you know, home inspector software that's out there where you'd be making these observations rather quickly. And a lot of the times you're seeing a lot of the same things over and over and over again. So what you're doing is really assessing the overall severity and then being able to make the appropriate recommendation based off of the severity that you're seeing. And then obviously, you know, you're taking into account other factors. So, but the important part is having that process because when you have that process of knowing what it is that you're looking for or looking out for from start to finish, from exterior to interior, it allows you to make the appropriate recommendations based off, you know, the appropriate professional judgment and opinion at that point. 
But yeah, the biggest thing is definitely having those processes in place first for those smaller projects, especially if it's pretty routine and, and similar in nature. And that allows us to kind of keep things moving along very quickly, particularly for those smaller projects. That way, when we have bigger projects that come in, we can dedicate the appropriate time and attention to detail for those. You could have small projects and large projects can can certainly both be profitable, but I think there's less room for error with these smaller projects, obviously, because you have smaller budgets. So I think having a really good process in place that you can kind of duplicate for each project and make some minor changes depending on what's different is a great approach. I mean, and I think these are the things you need to think about as an entrepreneur when you're trying to scale and grow a business. Like if I'm going to work on small projects, I'm going to need a lot of small projects to be able to grow the company. And if I'm going to need a lot of small projects, I'm going to be able to kind of crank these projects out, which leads you down the road of the tools and the templates and the processes, which I think is great. All right. So we're going to take a a quick break and we're going to come back with Rich in a minute and finish up with our PM pitfall segment. We are back with Rich Negri. Rich is the owner and principal engineer of GeoTerra Engineering and Construction Consultants in Baltimore. He's talked about a lot of really interesting stuff related to the real estate industry, managing small projects, and just a lot of good stuff. And Rich, kind of to wrap up here, what I want to ask you about is, this is our PM pitfall segment. So we're looking for a project management pitfall or challenge that you see often in projects and how a project manager can try to avoid that pitfall or kind of deal with that pitfall. One of the biggest pitfalls, um, which we kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, or mentioned earlier, is not fully understanding what it is that your client is looking for at the end of the day. Because as we mentioned earlier, being able to deliver a a project that the client is uh, fully satisfied with is the end goal. And obviously, it requires a lot of communication to get to that point because we can't assume that we know what the client wants. And a lot of times, you know, project managers, either for the sake of moving projects along and to kind of get things done quickly, kind of like to think for the client for them. And in some cases, it, it can work. But in other cases, things can go really wrong very quickly. So it's extremely important that you fully understand what the client is looking for. And if there are chances or circumstances where, you know, you feel like the client may not necessarily fully understand what their project might entail, that's when we as project managers with our team, it's important for us to put the appropriate team members in front of them to discuss those particular aspects to make it essentially crystal clear for them. Because at the end of the day, if we deliver a project that isn't something that the client's going to be fully satisfied with, we failed them. And at the end of the day, you know, if our business is reliant on those repeat customers or referrals, that could be a potential customer or client lost, you know, or potential referrals lost down the line. So the biggest thing is definitely, you know, taking the time to really understand what your clients wants and needs are and maintaining that communication throughout the lifetime of the project. So that way, as changes arise or as their wants and needs change, you're aware of those things. That way, at the end of the day, you can deliver a project that they're fully satisfied with. That is absolutely the one of the top PM pitfalls. And, and unfortunately, in a lot of these project management training programs or a lot of companies teach the whole idea of managing scope, schedule, and budget, which I totally agree with. But what they fail to kind of reinforce is you also need to meet the client's expectations and make sure that the client is happy. And I think that Like I said earlier, yes, when you complete the project scope and you've executed on all the tasks, the project is technically complete. But if the client's not happy, that doesn't necessarily matter because like you said, they're not going to call you back again. They're not going to refer you to someone else. And in the consulting world, you need to build 
business or else you're not going to be managing any projects for the long run. Exactly. So really think about the expectations of your client. And, you know, typically if you do manage the scope, schedule, and budget effectively, the client will be happy, but you just want to hear them out. They may have something really specific on a project that they want to make sure that they hit, or they may, you know, I like to ask them kind of why they're doing a specific project, right? Because that gets you thinking, you know, understanding what their real desires are with this project. So that's an awesome point. So Rich, listen, we really appreciate you spending some time with us here on the podcast. You know, you've given us a lot of great information. I, again, I commend you on, you know, taking the risk of, you know, being an entrepreneur at the same time as being an engineer, which is two really complicated things to do. Before we let you go, where can our listeners learn more about you? I'm sure they can connect with you on LinkedIn. Maybe you want to give us the website for your business. Definitely connect with me via LinkedIn. It's my first and last name, Richard Negri. And then also our business, our, our website is www.geoterraec. So that's Echo Charlie at the end of geoterra.com. And then I'm also on Facebook as well. Same thing, first, last name. You'll be able to find me on Facebook. Thanks again so much for spending some time with us on the Engineering Project Management Podcast. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Anthony. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rich Negri. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, he's thinking about the technical side of projects, the project management side of projects, including managing the client expectations like he talked about. And he's thinking about the business side of his business. So a kind of a holistic episode that covered quite a bit. I hope you enjoyed it. And remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at engineeringpmpodcast.com. That's engineeringpm for project manager podcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And if your firm is looking to build a project management learning and development program, also known as PM training to a lot of firms, that's what we do here at EMI. We can come in, we can take our curriculum and we can tweak it, customize it to become your own, put some of your strategies, concepts, verbiage into the program. If interested, you could visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and contact us through the website or just give us a call, 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering project management endeavors. Music.